the things out this window look very different from just a week or two ago. I mean, they've gone from being the barest hint of green to being leaves, right? And just a month ago it was brown or gray and bare. We come and sit and rest and reflect, but we can make of all this whatever we want to. We can look right through it and not notice it at all. Or we might sit down and, and feel some undefined sense of relief. Or we might look at it in wonder. Some may say uh, the Cornus Florida aren't producing like they did the year before last. I would not be one of those. Uh, that's dogwoods. I looked it up. <laughs> Somebody else might take notice of a bird and know a lot more about it than I would. Or we can just enjoy it and say, isn't that wonderful? Still, it's entirely up to us what we're going to make of it. What is it that makes spring return? Okay. We have the obvious answers of, you know, the Earth spinning on her axis and, and going in this elliptical orbit around the sun and certain distances and certain times, you know, there's more intensity and heat and, and differing amounts of sun and uh, concentration of light. But still, it's only been 500 years, which if you think about it, is not that long. Since Copernicus proposed that maybe the earth was going around the sun and that the earth wasn't the center of the universe. We found out it wasn't the center of the universe. It's not even the center of the solar system. And I've heard that someone posit, and I don't know how anyone would be able to extrapolate to these degrees, but that there are you know, untold numbers of universes also. Not just galaxies and not just, uh, but universes. How, you know, <laughs> can't wrap my head around that. Um, anyway, our ancestors of not all that long ago would do rituals trying to please the sun and and coax it into returning. Right? Wanting to win the son's favor, his favor, so he would return. Well, when I think about spring, I think about the things that are trying to grow. And I wonder if life becomes so overwhelmingly claustrophobic for something that it has to fight to break out 
of the shell that's containing it and muster all of the energy that it gets from the stores that it's had all winter and force its way out of this restriction? Or is it that there's a deep longing in the seed and something about that I don't even know how I processed this one but with that longing the warmth comes and and it meets the sun and there's a gentle process where the, the, what the seed is and what is beyond it that's contributing to it meet, and very gently this process happens. Like an awakening, a natural growing. Or, or is it none of that, but this amount of pressure, this amount of time, this amount of heat equals this amount of change. This plus this plus this equals this, right? But every seed must have its own story and its own experience. But all of those inclinations, the one to, res- to resist the shell and break out, the one to work with our own growing process and awaken from the shells, the, the, the measured and calculated careful choices of change and transition, all of those are in our natures. Or some of us identify more with, with one than with another. And none of them are wrong. All of those inclinations seem encapsulated by the season. And after being confined and isolated, seemingly lifeless, the growing edges appear everywhere. If we notice them. The cold, hard, remotely secluded winter gives way to hope. Beauty and delicacy return hand in hand with a myriad unpredictable variables. Spring is tornado season. Spring is flood season. Spring brings heavy thunderstorms with lots of hail. Spring can bring summer temperatures or drought. Many a night I saw the Pleiades rising through the mellow shade, glitter like a swarm of fireflies tangled in a silver braid. Here about the beach I wandered, nourishing a youth sublime with the fairy tales of science and the long result of time. When the centuries behind me like a fruitful land reposed, when I clung to all the present for the promise that it closed. When I dipped into the future far as human eye could see, saw the vision of the world 
and all the wonder that would be in the spring of fuller crimson comes upon the robin's breast. In the spring, the wanton lapwing gets himself another crest. In the spring, a livelier iris changes on the burnished dove. In the spring, a young man's fancy lightly turns to thoughts of love. Yes, there is love, there is life, and spring returns. And she does all of her tasks, all of the tasks that are within her own nature. Creating beauty and restoring life before she's pushed aside. No matter how harsh or long the winter has been, no matter how aggressive or soon the summer comes, spring returns. She understands the absolute necessity of fairness, delicacy, and balance that only she can provide and manage. And even though she repeatedly watches in wisdom and knows that the colors of her palette will soon vanish, the blooms and soft greens and burgeoning streams, she returns. Fields full of new young life will grow and slip away under the influence of a meaner season. Still, there's no charge to it. Spring does not declare this is good or this is evil. This year is not better because the azaleas come four days earlier or worse because the peach blossoms endure a late frost. Those are our value projections. A myopic perspective. Years ago when I lived in California, there was a river at which I spent many summer hours. Huge, massive granite boulders, smooth from where that we would sit on and discuss philosophy and music and um, bake like you're not supposed to. And one spring in Nevada City, which, was, which is six miles away from the river, about six miles, the snows were melting. And in the middle of the night in town, there was a rumble that was very different from an earthquake but audible nonetheless. A few days later, I went down to a place that I had known very well. And boulders as big as small houses were in different places. A beach wasn't there anymore. The swimming holes weren't the same. The, the safe rapids that we used to scoot down, all different. We're comfortable with our recognition that change happens. 
and even intellectually with the notion that change is perpetual. But when the change becomes too dramatic or too drastic, we shift to a different level of awake. And a different kind of engagement with what's going on. It's the difference between standing at the shoreline and feeling the sand move around your feet when a wave comes in. And going, it's not any big deal. This is change. Change happens all the time. This is something I understand. It's something I know. I can, I can appreciate this and enjoy this. Then the difference of the outgoing tide before a tsunami. And what happens when it washes in and everything we know and understand in some way to be trustworthy change. It's the difference between a few drops of oil being spilt when we're putting spilled when we're putting some in a an engine and the deep water horizon. The difference between I'm not particularly fond of this person and a group of people not being able to tolerate another group of people. And we get Pearl Harbor and nine eleven and change. It's our perspective that determines how significant those are. I mean, the oil came from inside the earth. The earth will deal with the oil. It's just our lives that are affected, right? Everything that we create came somehow from the planet. In my mind, you know, given enough time and pressure and thermal interaction, the plastics would turn back into oil. I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to be here for millennia to watch that, as best I know. <laughs> but the integrity of spring is that no matter how interfered with her rhythms are, she comes back and she does what's hers to do every time. She fulfills her nature with whatever elegance and dignity is available to her. She knows what her nature is, and I think as human beings, that's a little bit more difficult to discern. Extremes do not prevent spring from completing her portion of the equation. In corporately observable terms, our lives here are very short. The extent of our impact, so small, juxtaposed with the origins of the planet and the workings of this universe or universe, these universes, 
If we let our imaginations carry us out to the edge or maybe beyond the galaxy and look back, to where the sun might be in our solar system around it. It's easy to imagine ourselves as microscopic. It's easier to imagine ourselves as cells in something. Not all cells are the same. Not all cells have the same nature, purpose, or or. or destination but they know what their purpose is they act on what their nature their true nature is all we have to do is what's really ours to do and it might be something that first we only understand as I heard on Oprah recently, I'm sorry to confess that. <laughs> on the Oprah Winfrey network, um, it might start as a whisper, like a, what? Are you kidding me? Nah. But, but then it doesn't go away. And as we step into it, it feels more real. It feels more right and feels more true for us. It's integrity. And one biological unit manifests a different way than another biological unit. Whether you're one who strives against the oppressing shell, the oppressive shell, or one who is pulled out with longing for the sun or one who is measured and precise in your ways each of us has the capacity to serve what is noble and worthy to move toward bringing spring I was at a memorial service here yesterday for an old friend of mine Uh, Kurt was an entomologist who had I, I didn't look this back up, and so I'm quoting, I'm, I'm saying this from memory, which is questionable always. Um, he, I think it was the Teddy Roosevelt Chair of the Natural Museum, Natural Museum of History. But Kurt, in his 20s, received this at the Natural History Museum, Museum of History. He was working on social behaviors because at 16, Kurt came out at Magnet here in Shreveport. And it was after feeling suicidal about that. And it was someone who was already out that saved him from feeling suicidal or from his su- from wanting to kill himself. Anyway, that led him into studying the social behaviors. 
And that brought him to studying social insects because he really, he, he was an atheist and really wanted to know why we came to be the way we are. In his studies, he was working with wasps and found in this certain particular, this particular variety of wasps, the whole range of cooperative altruistic behavior, cooperative slash altruistic behavior, and combative uh, territorial um, wanting to conquer and, and all of those behaviors were in the same branch of insects. I know I sound like a moron trying to talk about things I don't understand. But, he, but in his research, he discovered that those that are cooperative greatly enhance their survival. And this cooperation isn't just something that the wasps sit around and talk about. And I would have to think that evolution towards that kind of cooperation can happen in fits and starts as well as in smooth processes. But we don't curse the wind, we adjust our sails. Maybe we don't get to see our work come to completion. Maybe we do. Maybe we ourselves will cycle through again and have the opportunity to bear witness to the positive outcomes that are the result of our efforts. Or maybe it's a new spring that comes each year. Maybe it's not spring who over and over again recreates herself. Maybe it's spring's offspring. <laughs> boing, boing. <laughs> Is it the work of those whose lives we will touch that will bring about those changes? Is it the next generation? I don't think we have that answer. I don't think we have the luxury of assuming that. What can we do but stand with integrity, the integrity of spring, come back, do what is in our nature, no matter what the summer did or what the winter does or the winter did, Still there is love, there is life, and spring returns. The integrity of spring is that no matter how interfered with her rhythms are, she returns. <laughs>